0: and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and I am glad you have chosen to listen for these uh, next few minutes as I discuss uh, matters of worship, theology, and culture. We are in the middle of a five-part series dealing with a worship-related topic, and that is five neglected essentials of worship, at least five that I have chosen to discuss, and this will turn into a book that uh, it is going to be a small book, but it will be uh, finished by the end of the year, Um, hopefully out by next year. Um, And so we've discussed The Lord's Table, uh, The Kiss of Peace, and then uh, um, last week I talked about Lingo. And uh, so we're at the fourth one today, and this is going to sound maybe a little odd at first uh, to some people, but... Uh, the issue i'm talking about today is horizontal community not just vertical and that is in the concept uh, the context of corporate worship um for for decades i, I think a growing concept has been that uh, worship is vertical that it is solely vertical it is only vertical in other words um if you're thinking directionally here you you might be going i've never heard this Vertical, horizontal, there is a uh, worship band out called uh, Vertical Church. And they're very good. They write some good songs and uh, they are solid theologically. Um, And I'm not pushing back on the concept of vertical worship. What I am doing, what I'm talking about is in addition to. But the idea is that worship occurs solely as a dialogue between God and the individual worshiping. It's a vertical relationship. And so I don't deny that worship is vertical. There is a vertical aspect. Hear me out. I am not denying that. But it is not solely vertical. There is a horizontal aspect to it. And by horizontal, I don't mean that God's people worship each other or that we worship earthly things or people or celebrities. I don't mean that. What I mean is that the church corporately worships together triune God. And so there is, in the togetherness and in worshiping as one body, there is a horizontal aspect. In fact, God has covenanted with a people uh, more obviously than he has with individuals. We tend to think of covenants between individuals, but the covenant between God was between himself and Uh, the church, a plurality of people. And so while individuals certainly comprise the body of Christ, the church exists as one singular body, a living organism. And so the connection between worship and mission, corporate and personal worship, it happens in the sending. I have discussed before that in the history of the church, uh, worship has taken place, corporate worship has taken place as a fourfold order. This is from the early church uh, even to now. And really churches started largely um, de, de, uh, leaving that path of, of fourfold worship um, in about the 19th century. You still see it. Um, in fact, my church has a fourfold order. Um, you, you still see this in many churches. Uh, the fourfold order has been the gathering, the word, the table, and the sending, the service of the gathering, the service of the, the word, the service of the table service of the sending. And, um, you tend to see more of a threefold order now in many churches and they, they've kind of simplified it to, uh, music preaching invitation (laughs) and, uh, that's not inherently wrong or sinful, um. But the uh, fourfold order, I believe, tells a gospel story. Um, but the sending, and what I'm talking about here, the sending, you could call it the conclusion if you want, but there's some sort of idea that you are sent. You are sent from this place as we meet together into the world, and you worship in a personal manner. And so there's a connection between corporate and personal worship in the sending. Um, but God's people begin a process of per- personal worship together. We are covenanted as one body. And so even in personal worship, there is a corporate aspect. In other words, we do life together. <clears throat> we are the church. We don't go to church. We don't do church. We are the church. And so to neglect. The horizontal relationship shared between the people of God is to effectively become absorbed in self-seeking goals. We become um, selfish and and seek what we want instead of what God wants and what is best for the body. But worship is not self-seeking. It looks first to the glory of God and then second to the good of others, uh, particularly in the body of Christ. And so if worship were solely vertical... Um, Here's one argument I make. If worship were solely vertical, the ordinances would not only be corporate. In other words, there would be uh, room for private communion or private baptism. And I am not talking about in situations where uh, maybe somebody's in a nursing home and cannot have a public baptism. That's not what I'm talking about. In most situations, uh, baptism... And the Lord's Table are corporate acts. And that that is why I strongly disagree with um, communion being employed in the context of a wedding ceremony, unless everybody is invited to participate. Because if they aren't, and everybody is just watching a couple, it really is not communion. Communion is a corporate act. It is one of two ordinances of the church that was given to the church, not to individuals. And so there is a horizontal obligation in worship. It is not just vertical. And you're obviously, uh, you might be catching on that I'm talking about relationships here. So, not to deny the vertical aspect of worship, for what I'm about to say, I'm going to assume the truth of vertical worship, but I am going to concurrently provide a foundation for horizontal worship, okay? So. Uh, I have a few thoughts on this, on horizontal worship and why worship is horizontal. I want to provide a foundation that hopefully you catch on to and, and realize, yeah, there is a horizontal aspect to worship. So first of all, worship is horizontal because God has covenanted with a people rather than mere individuals. And so, um... Again, I'm not neglecting the vertical aspect, but the truth is that the horizontal aspect is often neglected in the church. God is covenanted with a people, not merely individuals. In in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul discusses uh, the people of God as many members of one body, but the emphasis is placed on one body more than many members. In other words, the body takes precedence over the individual members. And so um, sarcastic and even rhetorical pictures of body parts um, are personified when Paul is speaking. And uh, he even mentions uh, body parts speaking to other members of the body. It's kind of a comical picture when you think about it. But uh, the picture is painted of of body parts speaking to other body parts and and, um, on their own saying, I'm going to do what I want. Uh, And and that really, this picture is indicative of the overall purpose of the body rather than the individual members. In other words, the body, the purpose of the body takes precedence over the individual parts. And so in our self-absorption, we we often speak of God's will as it applies solely to our lives. Uh, We've had discussions before with many people, you've probably done this too, what is God's will for my life? Well, I could do this or this. I just don't know. What is his will for my life? And that's not a bad or sinful conversation to have, but God does not have only a will for our lives. We need to get off of the self-centeredness and, and stop thinking, what is his will for my life? And realize that God has a will at large which glorifies himself and brings him pleasure. And it's a will into which each person in the church So it's not that God has necessarily a separate will for one person or the other person, but he has a will, period, an overarching will that we fit into. And I think that's the right perspective to think about it rather than his will for our lives. Uh, In Exodus 2, God hears the cries of his people. This is the story of um, the Israelites and Moses leading the Israelites out of bondage, out of the bondage of slavery. And so God hears the cries of his people, and he responds to bring them out of the bondage of of slavery. In Exodus 2, it says, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That's Exodus 2, uh, verses 24 through 25. And so the focal point of God's response here is his covenant, It's something we fail to realize often. He responded to his covenant, not purely the cries of his people, not the prayers. It was the covenant that he made with his his people. And there are various covenants that you can point to in the Old Testament, um, such as the Abrahamic uh, covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. Um, These are covenants that, Yes, occurred between individuals, but they were representative of the entire body, the entire um, corporate body uh, that belonged to God, namely the Israelites and eventually uh, those who were grafted into that body who are Christians. Um, These really were the extension of the overarching covenant of grace between God and his people, uh, which really was made permanent and perfect through the new covenant in Jesus Christ. But the covenant, we need to realize, is with a people, not individuals. And so, no child of God, no Christian, is born as a child of God. Think about that. No Christian is born as a Christian, but we are adopted, according to Romans 8, Romans eight fifteen, And as adopted people... God has given us a part in his body. And so the link between this truth and worship is that we worship not only as individuals, but also and probably even more so as a corporate body. Throughout scripture, we're referred to in a plural sense, but also as a singular body. In 1 Peter 2 9, for example, we are referred to as a chosen race, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And so by God's covenant with his people, we worship as a body, not solely as individuals. And in this manner, worship is not only vertical, but it is horizontal. Picture a global redeemed people of God, every tribe, every tongue, the church, worshiping God. And we may do it in different ways. We may do it in different places. We may not even know each other. And you might visually think of God's people dialoguing vertically with God. In other words, the church on a global scale worshiping God. If you just picture a relationship, God uh, maybe up high somewhere receiving the praises of his people. But the body worshiping and proclaiming the story of God is a a horizontal body. In other words... Uh, The church is comprised of many people who form one living organism. And so while our worship, yes, is vertical, what we offer, we offer as a horizontal body. And God has covenanted with a people, not merely individuals. And so the worship we give God is given together. We live together, we love together, we function together, and we worship together as the body of Christ. The second thought I have on this, and why this is important, is worship is horizontal because it declares the gospel to others. In other words, in worship, we are retelling or proclaiming the gospel to other people. Uh, not just Christians, but yes, uh, those who are not Christians as well. The tendency might be to consider the proclamation of the gospel for only those who don't know Christ, those who are not Christians, but the gospel should be proclaimed to everyone, including those who already have a personal relationship with the Savior. You might think, why? Why do those, why do those who are Christians need to hear the gospel? The gospel should be proclaimed to the lost and continue being proclaimed to the church because it is has not only been life-changing for God's people, but it continues to be life-changing. The gospel needs to be reiterated and retold over and over again. We need it in our lives. And so Christians have repented, but should also continue repenting and need the gospel to do so. And so a constant declaration of the gospel should not be confused with secret-sensitive worship, if such a thing exists. What I mean by that is... There is certainly a declarative and evangelistic aspect to worship. But the purpose of worship is not to reach people. Hear me on that. People, some people think that sounds so odd, but the purpose of worship is not to reach people. In fact, lost people have no ability whatsoever to worship God. Hear me. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot worship God. And it is only the fact that our worship is mediated through Jesus Christ that we can worship and that we can even approach the throne of God. And so worship is not designed for the lost. It is for God's people, okay? So I'm not talking about seeker-sensitive worship. I'm not talking about designing worship services to reach the society. That is not at all what I'm talking about. In fact, I will be as bold as to say that that approach is wrong, God is the point of the gospel. And in fact, he is the gospel himself. And so in in declaring the gospel, the, the church declares God. So the gospel does not point first and foremost to the redemption of humankind, but to the glory, fame, majesty, and worth of our triune God. But that is... From where our redemption is derived, his glory, his fame, his worth. And yes, there's an evangelistic theme of redemption in worship, but it is not seeker-sensitive. The point is not to reach people. The point is that the church worships to give glory to God by proclaiming his story, retelling the gospel over and over again not just with the loss but to each other because we need that. We need that constant reiteration in our lives of the gospel. Not just the message, but its life-changing power. So worship declares the gospel not only to God but to others including ourselves and we continually declare the gospel to each other in corporate worship. So it's okay to sing songs about God as well as to him. There's been an argument made by many people that we should not sing songs about God. We should only sing songs to him. Well, in doing so, you are neglecting the horizontal aspect of the body of Christ worshiping together. It is okay to proclaim the story of God in worship, and it is still worship. If we desire to only sing to God, we really have both missed the point and limited worship solely to music. (laughs) A sermon or a homily, for example, is also worship. Recently, I had someone tell me that a sermon is not worship, it's instruction. (laughs) But it is worship. Worship is not synonymous with music. And don't, don't think that it is. We've made the mistake of making it seem so. But sermons are not preached to God, necessarily, but they're preached about him to God's people. And so, that's an example. But worship declares the glory of God and proclaims the gospel message through which the people of God are changed. And so, the horizontal aspect here is that God's people are declaring the gospel to each other and continuing to live in its life-changing power. Third thought I have is that worship is horizontal because the Holy Spirit's work is horizontal. Now, this is a topic that uh, the church has failed to discuss enough, and that is uh, the topic of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit's work is fundamental to worship, Because it is only in the power of the Holy Spirit that God's people approach the Father, mediated through the Son. And so while God is the object of worship, we would be mistaken to consider ourselves as the subject. And what I mean by that is the ones who are working in worship. God is both object and subject. He is the one whom we worship and the one who works in our midst. He is both. And in the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit works among the people of God. So His work is horizontal; He works in and among us as the Church, preceded only by His love for both the Son and the Father. The Holy Spirit works in the Church and out of love for her. So the Holy Spirit. This is this is an interesting uh, topic. I could I could. Uh, probably uh, do an entire podcast on this, and I might eventually, but the Holy Spirit is likely the most neglected person of the Godhead. But we need to strive to change this. To ignore the doctrine of the Trinity, including the Holy Spirit, or to claim that that doctrine cannot be explained is a cop-out. Maybe you've heard that. People say, can you explain the Trinity? Well, no, no one can. That's wrong. (laughs) Scripture gives us sufficient information about the Trinity. Worship is triune in nature. God is triune and eternally exists as the Godhead, three in one. No hierarchy and no division, but three distinct persons, co-equal and co-eternal with each other. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are one with each other and equally worthy of of worship. Neither is created and all are equal in power and glory yet function in a, in a disparate manners in a specific godhead order. And so this is complicated to understand for many people, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. Yet the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and all three persons eternally exist as one with each other. All three persons of the Trinity operate in a love relationship with one another, yet as one God. The Father, out of love for the Son, has bequeathed the people to his Son, and the Son, begotten of the Father as incarnate word, and out of love for the Father, has redeemed the people given to him by the Father, Through his death, burial, and resurrection and eventual return, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, eternally uh, proceeding from both the Father and the Son and out of love for the Father and the Son, calls, guides, and convicts the people of God. And so through the distinct work of all three persons, God, triune God, is glorified. The church worships and lives in the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ, the mediator to the glory of God the Father. One in love, glory, and power, a specific Godhead order is designed for the overarching and governing purpose of worship, namely the glory of God. So one God, three distinct persons, God ordains all things, and in all things, the three persons of the Trinity, in love for one another, function to the glory of triune God. That may sound complicated, but it's really not. And so often we try to avoid this topic because we say it's too complicated, and really, we just don't want to talk about it. We don't want to take the time to talk about it. God is not distantly observing the worship from his people, but instead is among and working in us, particularly through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if we focus on our individual selves without realizing God's work among his people as a body, we fail to see not only the horizontal relationship and offering of love given by the church, but also the work of the Holy Spirit among God's people as a unified body. God's work isn't merely in and for individuals, but through the Holy Spirit's work, God's own purposes are manifested and carried out through the church. And so while it might be tempting to seek God's will for our lives uh, individually, we need to understand that God has a supreme will into which we individually fit. But it's an overarching will. It's not just a will for our individual lives. And so the Holy Spirit's work among the people of God, not merely individuals, is crucial to corporate worship. So worship is vertical, but it is also horizontal in the relational aspect, one unified body, the Holy Spirit works in and through us. The final thought I have on all of this is that worship is horizontal because the church is the body of Christ. Uh, the body of Christ is most, most naturally a horizontal body. Um, uh, what I mean by that is is it is comprised of relationships, not only with and in Christ, but also, with each other and i'm not talking about it you may be thinking about a physical body laying down that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about relationships with each other here on this earth and so the church does not merely represent the body of christ but literally is the body of his of christ we are his hands and we are his feet according to the apostle paul in first corinthians 12. we are perpetually unified In Jesus Christ, Tertullian said that the church is already unified, so our job is not to create it, but to exemplify it. We possess the sole ability and right to worship God, yet it happens as a body, not just as individuals. And so I submit that corporate worship forms us as individuals. Uh, personal worship is derived then from corporate worship. The way we worship becomes the way we live our lives. You may have never thought of that, but I am suggesting that the way you worship is how you are formed in your personal life. And so in a cyclic manner, the church worships corporately and thus is formed as individuals, as a part of the body of Christ, and then we glorify God together as a single unified body. Horizontal worship then lends itself to vertical worship presented to God by the church. And so even in, per, in personal worship, God's people present their lives. And so in this manner, we don't go to church, we don't do church, but we are the church church. And the body and bride of Christ. So you're getting a picture here that it's really about horizontal relationships. It's not intended for us to live life alone. We were not designed to do that. We can't do that. And anyone who thinks they can is mistaken and wrong. God has created us with individual purposes, but subsequent to his governing purpose, namely uh, his own glory. And so the church is a single unified body and we worship as a single body. The key to unity is Jesus Christ and the shalom relationship which exists as a result. And so the church is a horizontal body comprised of horizontal relationships among the adopted people of God. So again, I am not pushing back on the idea of vertical worship, but I'm pushing back on the idea of solely worship. Vertical worship. In Christ Jesus, the horizontal nature of worship is evident. We are a body. It's okay to proclaim the gospel to each other, to even sing the gospel to each other about God. We're not worshiping each other, we are worshiping our triune God. And so we need to be faithful worshipers who do not neglect the horizontal. We have to be people who understand that we don't go to church as if it's a place. But we corporately are the church. Nowhere in the New Testament is the church considered a place. It is always a people. And so it is wrong for us to refer to the church as a place we go. That is not what it is. We are a people. And there's one church, one holy and Catholic church. I'm not talking about the Catholic denomination. I'm talking about the universal church. I believe in one holy and perpetually unified Catholic church. That is who we are. That is what we are. We don't go to church. We don't do church. We are the church. So there is horizontal. Uh, there are horizontal relationships in the church, in the body of Christ. And together we worship as a, with a, as a, in a vertical relationship between us and triune God. But the Holy Spirit works in us horizontally. He works in and among his people. And so we should not neglect horizontal community. You cannot be a, um, a faithful Christian who neglects community with other believers. If you're a Christian, you are a part of the body of Christ. And as Paul said, can one body part say to the other, I'm going to do my own thing? That's a paraphrase, obviously, but picture your are foot or your knees, saying to the rest of your body I'm going to do my own thing that would not work out so we are the unified body of Christ there are horizontal relationships the Holy Spirit works among us horizontally and as a horizontal body we worship God vertically and so we should not neglect either but often the horizontal aspect of corporate worship is neglected and let us strive to change that Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.